welcome back to the Nothing But Nets podcast. This is the Clutch Points Pod. I'm your host, Dave Early, here as always with my co-host and friend, Greg Dennis. Greg, welcome back to the pod. How are you doing today? This is this was a life support Brooklyn chant. Oh man! So are you? uh, I mean, it's been tough. It's been tough. It's been really tough. Um, I mean, I couldn't believe like I was writing about Kevin Durant struggled in Game One. I don't. I can't remember if I wrote that all year. Like the Nets lost because Kevin Durant was off. So I'm I'm sitting here today and I'm waiting to hear that Kevin Durant is playing through an injury. Honestly, I'm waiting for the story to come out and it hasn't come out. So I guess this is what it is. I mean, we knew going into the series that Boston had an all-time defense. All time. All time good defense. But I never thought that Kevin Durant would be the one to take the main brunt of that. I assumed it would it would manifest itself on other players in other ways. But no, it's actually Durant who has really I mean, let's call it what it is. He's been awful. Wow. I mean, I wasn't ready to say that. Um but yeah, he's he's I think he's 14 of 41 or 13 to 41 from the field. And, you know, he talked about his struggles after game one. He said, like, I had to get my fundamentals right. He did give them some credit. Um, but I felt like, you know, you could you could tell he was thinking I should have I should have made a bunch of those shots anyway. I just feel like when this happens to James Harden, when this happens to LeBron James. These guys get absolutely crucified, and you know it really. I don't. I don't like you said. I don't remember this ever happening to Kevin Durant, but I remember we were saying, you know, we're sort of taking for granted that Durant and Kyrie are going to give them sixty-five to seventy-five points a game. But could the other guys give them enough? And uh, we were wrong. I mean, the other guys. Drogic, Seth Curry, Bruce Brown, these guys have given them everything they could have hoped for and more. And Kyrie obviously had an amazing game one, which I'm sure we'll get into. But it's actually been Durant. He's been he's been the guy that who's been MIA so far. Couldn't have predicted that, but here we are. Yeah, let's talk about Kyrie's performance in game one. He was an electric 39 points. The the Nets after the game were downplaying that he was fueled by the hostile environment. Kyrie was annoyed that he had to answer questions about his back and forth with fans after such a devastating basketball loss. You know, like he was down at talk hoops and about the game, but he didn't. All the questions were about like you gave the bird. Why was it so antagonistic? Um, and so that was frustrating to them but they would all basically make the same point that we don't think he was better because of the hostile environment. Did you have any thoughts about that? The first thing I would say is I, I didn't realize it, but Boston has the best crowd in the entire NBA. Um, 
the arena, I think, single-handedly probably won them maybe both games. I, I, I was just really impressed with the crowd. They, they step it up and have a fever pitch that I just don't see in any other arena. Maybe, uh, I mean, Toronto's really good. The Warriors, of course, are really good. The Sixers are really good. But I feel like the Celtics crowd doesn't get their proper due. They, they're just really intense. And <clears throat> I feel like even though Kyrie was amazing in that game one, you know, and, and I, I hate to nitpick because he really was amazing, but I felt like the crowd goaded him into that final sequence where he kind of shot it too soon over the double team, which led to the game-winning shot. Well, that was Durant. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, right before Tatum's, right before Tatum's layup. Right. Yeah, that that was that was Durant's. Um, oh right, right. That was Durant. right. Really right, tough right. shot. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I after the second game, you know, because we we've obviously made a lot about the fasting and Ramadan, but I'm wondering now, looking back, you know, the game one was in the afternoon. Kyrie Irving was completely amazing. And last night's game was at night, so you figure he hasn't eaten or drinking anything for like 14, 15 hours. And there was a huge difference. So that's another thing I'm wondering is, are these night games just just posing a challenge that's hard to overcome for him? Because he definitely didn't look the same last night. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it could be the cumulative impact of that full day of fasting. We did watch him like retreat. As soon as it was sundown, someone was pointing at their watch and he went and got a banana and some water, I guess. Um, whereas he wouldn't have been able to do any of that during the day game, right? Or maybe at the very tail end. Um, but, but yeah, it could be that. Um, clearly not the same guy because he was like 39 points on 20 attempts in game one and not even close to that in game two. Um, they, they couldn't get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both hot I mean, forget hot. If, if Durant was just subpar in game one, this is a split, and you and I are going to sound so different. I mean, we're going to be talking about how the Boston Celtics have this all-time defense, but if the Nets had gotten either one of those games, um, I think I guess people will forget how close this series has been. I mean, they had a 17-point lead in one they lost, and they lost one at the buzzer in a game I thought they were going to win after Kyrie Irving drained that shot over Marcus Smart. But... Jalen Brown comes right back down the court and lays it up right over Bruce Brown. Then Durant takes a tough shot. And then, of course, the scramble play, really heady pass by Marcus Smart. And then B-ball breakdown is on there saying, like, Kevin Durant's controller glitched or whatever. Like, his controller froze because he fell asleep on the final play. Did you blame Durant for his defense on the final play of game one? You know, at first I did. But when I looked back at that play, um, it, it was actually Bruce Brown, I believe, who was guarding Tatum. He left Tatum when the ball got swung to Marcus Smart. And that's why Tatum was open. Durant was actually guarding Jalen Brown. Now, you, you could say, well, you should never have your back turned like that to, to the best player on the team when there's two seconds left. 
I see that, but I, I don't really blame Durant. Um, I just think it was one of those crazy things. When the ball gets swung to Marcus Smart there with three seconds left, you kind of just figure he's putting it up. So I don't I don't blame the team for giving him that attention in that spot, but give him credit. He made a pump fake. He had the vision to see Tatum cutting. Tatum had the wherewithal to make the cut. And, you know, <clears throat> it's just a devastating loss right there because when you're a road team and you're an underdog, sometimes you'll get a chance to steal game one. But if you don't, if you don't capitalize on it, a lot of times you look back at the end of the series and you sort of realize that that was the swing point of the series. And I think of Nash, who obviously is the coach of this team, who was probably involved in, in a, you know, another situation like that. If you remember years ago, that Sun Spurs series, first round, game one. Suns are up and Tim Duncan hits a three. And the Spurs kind of like snatch victory from the jaws of defeat and win game one. And it ends up being a sweep. But, you know, when you look back on it, I feel like, I feel like it was, that was the game, basically. Like if the Suns win that game, maybe they win the series. And for Brooklyn right now, I just feel like I left that game one thinking they had to get that one. I hope I'm wrong. And through three quarters in game two, I thought I was wrong because they were winning. But as we leave Boston down 0-2, I'm, I'm left uh, feeling like game one was a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I didn't expect them to have – I you know, they had the big lead in game two. I thought it was going to be the other way around. When I looked up and I saw them up 12, up 17, I thought they would be down that much because – just feel like if you lose an emotional heartbreaker like you did in game one, it's tough to come back in game two. I wouldn't have been surprised if they just got throttled. To have chances like that uh, and to fall short so badly in the fourth quarter, the final frame, they were just you know demolished. Um, it, it does make you realize the burden that Durant and Irving are carrying and the burden that they've carried all year. Uh, you think of Durant playing all those games without Kyrie. You wonder if maybe that caught up to him. I know you mentioned like wondering if we'll hear of an injury. Maybe it's the cumulative baggage that he entered the playoffs with because of this season, you know, nursing that MCL and coming back. I don't know. But um, like you said, it, it felt like they left something hanging there. I mean, I think they, they might have – I mean, who knows? Maybe they would be up 2-0 if they won game one or if, if they made a better switch on that final play. Um, tough to blame Durant on that one play. And there's a lot of guys you could have looked to, to have done something different. I think they all maybe underestimated um, how much time was remaining. They figured smart was going to have to shoot it. So if they get two at home, then I, you know, I'll give them a chance for sure to win game five, but I got to see that first. Do you put any blame? I know Steve Nash has mostly avoided blame because they were so significantly shorthanded over the last like 20 months going back to January when they made James Harden acquisition in the first place. It's hard to evaluate this second year head coach because he's never had like a, a any continuity to work with he has rarely had his stars in the lineup 
all of a sudden people are saying he's getting outworked by his former assistant, which I guess highlights the job he's doing. Ime Udoka has this team clicking on all cylinders for Boston and people are starting to question Steve Nash. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, I think that that just kind of comes with the territory when you've got Kevin Durant, you've got Kyrie Irving, and you lose two games in the playoffs that you could have won if a couple balls bounce your way. The coach is going to take the brunt of that. And, uh, you know, like you said, Nash has largely avoided criticism for the most part. Um, I don't, you know, I don't really have a major issue with uh, Nash. I think, you know, we have to remember the Celtics are the favorites in this series. They did what they're supposed to do. They they're now the favorites in the, the entire first... East. They're absolutely the favorites in the entire East. Um, most statistical models have had them as the favorites to win the title for a while now. So I, I don't think it's fair to say, you know, Nash is, is to blame or he cost them anything. And, you know, let's see what happens in game three. The series is not over. I think it's, I think the Nets are in a pretty big hole and they're significant underdogs, but you know, they're going to have a good chance to win game three. I expect them to be very competitive in that game. And if they can win, then it's a series again. Right. And then game four becomes enormous. So I'm, I'm not ready to, you know, I'm not ready to say this thing is over. Uh, I think the Celtics are a really good team. And uh, I, I don't really blame Nash for the O2 deficit. Yeah. I mean, through two games, you could make the case that Jason Tatum has been the most important player of the playoffs so far. Absolutely. Absolutely. He is, um, I think by any, any way you look at it, he's probably, I don't know if he's a top five player, but he's probably top seven or eight. Uh, you know, I don't know. We'd have to go through obviously, but it seems like if the Celtics keep going by the end of this year, like he might be a kind of consensus, definitive top five guy, right? I mean, yeah, he was only he's, five. He's of certainly only five of sixteen in the last one. Um, they, you know, they did a, a surprisingly good job on JT in Game Two, so it hurts all the more that they had like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in double figures for Boston. Really, really well rounded team effort um you know tatum and smart got their free throws grant williams got six free throws but um yeah i, I mean i guess i'll make the counter argument to push back a little bit on that you, people are saying that the the nets have seen what the celtics are doing defensively i mean they're playing a zone they're junking the game up they're, sh they're shadowing Kevin Durant with two bodies. Um, the Celtics are leaving open the, the mediocre or non-shooters like Bruce Brown pretty much open, and the Nets are still attacking it with ISO offense. Granted, they have two of the best ISO players in history, so you want to go down swinging with your best offense, but maybe there would have been a wrinkle. I mean, you figure if magically they had fired Steve Nash last year and left Mike D'Antoni, who was their assistant, in charge, would he have done more with, I don't know, an Irving Claxton pick and roll? Would he have had Kevin Durant play the point more and run some more two-man game with somebody rather than some of this ISO-heavy ball? 
which is, I think, some of the fairest criticism that Nash has received so far. Uh, and then maybe also a little bit of his rotations. It's a t- He's got an uphill battle even with this roster. It's like, besides the stars, he's got guards and bigs, right? He doesn't really have wings that you could rely on. There's no Mikhail Bridges here. There's no Robert Covington. So he's got some lineups that you're looking at with Bruce Brown, who's about 6'4 in shoes, right? Uh, Kyrie, Seth Curry, Goran Dragic, and sometimes Patty Mills. We saw a few minutes with like three of the smallest guys on the court. What are they supposed to do? They're not providing a ton of resistance defensively. Uh, and then he's not running with his one stretch big, LaMarcus Aldridge. He's not running with Blake Griffin. Um, so I guess there are some things to nitpick for Nash, maybe some adjustments that he and his staff will make for games three and games four. Um, definitely some stuff for Sean Marks to be thinking about as they head into the offseason in terms of the wing. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's, you know, the roster definitely needs to be rounded out. But in regards to what you're saying about, you know, maybe injecting a little more motion into the offense, I think that's fair. But on the other hand, it's like if Durant isn't going to be able to, you know, if it was the other way around, I think you'd say like, hey, like you could, you, you got to just get Durant the ball and let him, let him carry the team because that's kind of been the rallying cry for this team all season. It's like, well, let's just let's just get into the playoffs and then we have Durant, Kyrie, and we'll see what happens. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's fair now to say like, well, yeah, you know, Durant, Kyrie, they, you know, they need to, you, you need to now like change the offense. You need to, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with it. I feel like if Durant is himself, in these first two games, we're not talking about what Nash didn't do because the series is either 1-1 or, you know, potentially even 2-0 Brooklyn. So, uh, you know, I, I think if, if Durant is just himself, then everything is fine. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree. I think the the narratives are going to be that this, the Nets – you know, I, you know, people are already saying, well, they didn't have Kyrie. If they had Kyrie, they would avoid this matchup in the first place. That took its toll. Uh, the James Harden thing, there's just been too much. And I get all that. But, like, to your point, the Nets could really have been up to nothing right now if Kevin Durant shot below average. It's just that he's been terrible from the floor. I mean, he makes up for it with 20 free throws, five assists in game two, some good defense. But four of 17 is not Kevin Durant. You know, 13 of 41 is not at all Kevin Durant for two games. If they had just gotten a, a below average, a version of himself that he'd be disappointed with, they could be up two games to none. So don't want to overreact too much. Let's look a little bit forward to game three. Um, any any big changes you'd make? Uh, are you starting starting to actually get hope that Ben Simmons is going to suit up in game four? Sham Strani said that he's still targeting that as recently as today. We're recording this on Thursday. Yeah, I'm surprised, but it does sound like he's going to give it a go for game four. I just really hope that it's not a 3-0 series going into that game because then it almost feels anticlimactic. It almost feels like, you know, a lot of buildup for nothing. (laughs) So, you know, it's a shame he can't be ready for game three because if we're being honest, game three, the season is on the line. 
and and this is a game that they absolutely have to win. And even if he could come in for 10 minutes and just give the team a lift by seeing him in a Brooklyn Nets uniform and the crowd seeing him and just running up and down a few times, um, that would be great. But, you know, I trust the medical staff that uh, they want those extra few days for him to get a few more reps in, a few more rehab sessions, whatever it is. So it'll be game four. Let's just hope that it's still a series and it's 2-1. It'll be really interesting to see. I'm glad he's making his debut at home. I feel like that making a debut in Boston with that crowd would would just be tough. I would expect them to immediately foul him and put him at the foul line and just kind of have that be his welcome back just having to make free throws immediately in in Boston, I think would be just, (laughs) just too much. Um, But, but uh, you know, it'll be good. He'll be at home. And uh, you know, like I said, I I hope it's still a series because if he comes back in game four and they're down three, Oh, they lose that game. Then that'll be kind of a joke in and of itself. Ben Simmons comes back for one game, watches his team get swept, and then has to wait a whole other offseason to play again. Right. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I've heard I've heard some people say that they should be more willing to bring him back if it's three-nothing in a low pressure game than if it were two-one in a high pressure game, because you haven't seen him play since game seven of 2021. You really want to introduce this unique idiosyncratic player all of a sudden. Who knows what taking what getting used to there is, what terms of ramp up there is. Um, so, you know, there's, you appreciate whatever risk there is there. I, you know, we've had this conversation. I, I would play him if he was healthy. If I think if he were magically healthy, he would have been enormous for them in, in game one. I mean, you think about a game where you lose by one, where Jason Tatum was hyper efficient, 31 points on like 14 shots. The one thing that we know Ben Simmons can do is make those shots more difficult, which would allow other players to rebound and push transition to get quick looks early offense for their stars. Uh, So I think, you know, if he had been 65% healthy for one play in this series, it might be tied. That makes me say, if he's healthy, give it a shot. What's the harm? Nick Claxton was a minus 10 in his 23 minutes in one game. Andre Drummond looks completely out of sorts. They're lacking at the big spot. I'm not saying Ben can necessarily play small ball five, but there's room here that they need a guy who can guard the wings so badly. I mean, Bruce Brown is good. Uh, people, we've been saying like, imagine Ben Simmons in that Bruce Brown role. You don't want to take Bruce Brown off the floor because he is good. But if you had both of them, now you'd have two players who can match up a little bit better with Tatum and Brown. Not that Brown has done a great job. He's, he looks pretty small sometimes trying to cover Jalen Brown, but maybe alternating and always having a guy in that role could be helpful. Be looking forward to seeing how he looks. Um, Don't have a ton of concerns about his fit. Like some fans do. I think he's a smart and unselfish player who loves defense. So if you're getting a healthy version of Ben, I'm not terribly worried about his fit. Um, I would be worried about whatever potential setback there is. Of course, if anything went wrong, he'd have a full off season to, to rehab again. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's just it it just feels like such a a tall order uh, to be thrown into the series. 
it, it would be one thing, I guess, if he hadn't played for a year and he was coming off an injury, but he was returning to a team we'd seen him on before. I feel like it's pretty unprecedented to return in a playoff series and make your debut on a team. I don't know if that's ever happened before. I'd be really curious to know if it had. Like if someone had just kind of made their first start ever on a team in a playoff game. Do you think he'd start? <laughs> Especially I don't that's a good question. I, I would guess no. Yeah, I would I guess assume, no. I didn't assume he would. Um, because my feeling is you're hoping he can give you 15 minutes, right? Yeah, I was so if he's only going to play minutes, 15, force, right? Force a so tough isolation only, shot. Yeah, so if he's only going to do that, then there's you know there's no there's no reason to start him. I don't think there's any expectation of him finishing games. I think it's more just like, hey, we need depth, we need bodies, we need guys who can defend, run up and down the court. Um, but you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. We've, 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 you know, we've talked about it. We've talked about how he could be such a great fit on this team and he's coming back in extraordinary circumstances if he makes his debut in game four. And I hope it's not his, um, first and last start of the season. It'd be great to see him kind of, uh, rev up a bit and get a chance to get his legs underneath him. Yeah, the, the, the final point I would make on this is you have to win. We've seen how the Nets look right now. Uh, they're relying very much on Durant and Irving, who need to play 40 minutes. They need a superstar game out of at least one of them. And now they're going to have to win four out of five against Boston. They probably are going to lose this series. If they don't, then they're going to have to get through a gauntlet against some other really, really, really good teams. Um, you know, they'd have to face the Bucks, who, who might be without Chris Middleton. So maybe that would be easier than they'd have to face one of the Miami Heat or Philadelphia 76ers. It's starting to look like. But if you want to get through all that starting now, you're going to need some dramatic shift. So you might as well roll the dice on your highest upside remaining chip left in the vault. No other team can say, hey, we could just throw an all star into our lineup who hasn't even been here yet. That's one gamble that they could to take, whereas their status quo is pretty grim. Um, I'm going to bring up a subject that's going to sicken some of our listeners. I know fans want to focus on the here and now, but Steve Nash said this that perked my ears up. He was asked about the Woj report that Ben is actually considering a, a game four return. And here's what he said. That's news to me. I don't think we're targeting any game. This is before game two. I think we're trying to see how he develops, how he progresses, and that's something that with the recent history since the trade, this has not been straightforward. Thoughts? Hmm. What, does, what does that mean, Greg? <laughs> um, that sounds like a little bit of frustration. I know there was another quote from Nash where he basically said, you'd have to ask Ben um, he, regarding he did, that was separate earlier. That was earlier in the same day, and he said, the ultimate call will be on the player. Um, essentially saying if our medical staff clears you, this is still on you. Cause if, if you, you know, flare ups a very serious injury, you're gonna have to deal with that all summer long. That's how I took that. But this, this line about things not being straightforward has me wondering, you know, like 
at one point, Steve Nash was saying this is muscle tightness that's normal for any ramp up you haven't played in a while. Whereas Shams, who you might consider getting his information from Ben's camp, is saying this is like Draymond Green month to month. Now it's the reverse. Now Shams has been saying Ben's coming back for game four. Steve Nash is saying, I haven't seen him do anything in practice. And so you start to think, like, has there been a divide between Ben Simmons' camp and the Nets since he's been here? And is that frustrating to Nash where he doesn't know what the heck is going on? Why am I hearing reports from Shams and Woes that he's going to play and we haven't seen anything close in practice so far? Is it something like that? You know, we've talked about it. Nash definitely seems a little impatient. Uh, a little ornery, perhaps, when discussing Ben Simmons, and you know, I don't. So, so I would, I would guess yes. I would guess that there's some confusion, maybe even some disappointment that Ben Simmons hasn't played. Um, I'm sure when they made the trade initially, they never envisioned it playing out the way that it has, where he may just never suit up this season. And so, yeah, he, you know, Steve Nash, who is very protective and defensive of his players, has definitely let some frustration slip out when he's talked about Ben Simmons and his potential return and when that might be and timetables and injuries. It seems like he's already over it. <laughs> um, which, I mean, let's not, know, sugar, let's not sugarcoat this. If you were Steve Nash, let's say you're even 15% worried about losing your job. Right now, you have to be accepting the painful reality that if you never made the James Harden trade, you wouldn't be facing Boston in round one. You'd have a higher seed. And, you, and if you were, if you were magically here for starting game one, you certainly wouldn't be down two games to none. You might even be up two games to O oh, because he's the perfect point guard to keep this whole thing flowing. You've been playing basketball without a point guard, essentially, for the last two games. Um, and that's tough. So you have to wonder, is he frustrated by the way it all played out? Does, is there regret, if not from the front office, from the coaching staff, who, uh, who has to feel that, you know, obviously you couldn't have predicted. You know, oftentimes when I have these conversations with people, I have to say, dude, he had an epidural for a herniated disc. He's significantly injured. You're talking about it like he doesn't want to be out there when the reverse is actually worse. The reality is that he really wants to be out there and he's got a serious injury. Um, so that was not predictable. But when you hear Nash say something like this, you wonder, like, what do we not know? Exactly. What do we not know? And why is there so much confusion and conflicting reports about when he's going to return? Um, and, and would it be simpler for them to just kind of shut it down at this point? I mean, if there's that much, um, you know, contradiction going on and hesitation and apprehension coming from him or people in his camp, you know, you're down 2-0 now. Like, let's just say Ben Simmons comes back and it doesn't go well, right? And he can't hit free throws or he's exposed. Like, do you really want to go into this offseason with him having built up whatever little bit of confidence he has now sort of starting from scratch in that area. I, I don't know. I don't know everything that's going into it, but it does sound like there's some frustration. And on the other side, if he doesn't return, if he doesn't even try, um, does that sort of maybe get him off on the wrong foot with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who are, you know, putting everything 
into this and have you know embraced him from the day he was traded to the nets and have defended him and it's like maybe they're just like hey man like you need to you need to try like if you're if you're like maybe healthy enough to play in game four or you might be healthy enough or you're close like you need to get out here and and be with us so i i wonder if that's part of the consideration um but it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out yeah, certainly something may be illuminated for us when the season is over, however it plays out. You know, when when you and I were talking about, well, James Harden is actually injured. He's got hamstring tightness. How could they be mad at him? What we end up learning was that, well, he skipped a treatment because he was out drinking. And so that suddenly it all makes more sense why there was resentment towards James for James being injured. I don't know if there's anything like that with Ben. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have said all the right things. Uh, about Durant has actually said, I, I'm not expecting him to play in this series, period. If he, if he does, great. So keeping the bar low there to not put extra pressure on him. You get the sense that if this was all straightforward and this was just a serious back injury, then it wouldn't be something that they would put on him. But because there is this like cloud where people are like, could he be playing? I don't know. Why is it up to him? Maybe Nash just misspoke and meant to say it's up to him because it's his body and this is a very serious injury. We would be expediting him through our traditionally conservative return to play protocols to ramp up with. Um, and I think that's very possible that that's all he meant by that statement because, you know, they said straight up Kevin Durant was ready to come back before he came back with his MCL sprain because we wanted him to be back comfortably. Clearly, if they were having him go from contact designated, able to practice four on four, they skip two on two, three on three, one on oh, and all that high intensity ramp up to say, and I think this is my strong opinion to your question. Of course, they would bring back Ben and roll the dice because it's the same reason that they bout faced on their principled stand to ban Kyrie for the full season. Kevin Durant's 33 and in his prime, you do whatever it takes you go back on any public position you've taken, you, you put anyone else at risk to get a championship in KD's slim window because you've got one of the best players of all time in his prime. You may only have two or three chances to get one. This is an actual live chance. And if Ben Simmons is 40%, maybe you roll the dice on that just to, uh, to get one more win. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So your official prediction, do we see Ben Simmons in game four? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Shams. I mean, if you just went with Shams all year, you've been pretty much right, right? Can't go wrong. He's taken some it's like heat. betting on Vegas. He's taken some heat for, uh, for his like loose associations to Clutch and Rich Paul, but that's who Ben's agent is, so why not go with him? If you went with the Sixers intel, you weren't getting as good intel as Woj was getting on the whole Ben Simmons saga when he was in Philly. So if he says he's planning on coming, if he said that he was nowhere close when the Nets were saying he's close, he was right. And if you're going with him saying he's close and the Nets are saying we have no idea, let's go with Sam's. I I'd feel better about it. You also have Brian Windhorse and Woj now saying it as well. It's like betting on Vegas at this point. I think he's going to be out there. I think. I think, yeah, I think the Nets would normally be much more cautious, but because they have one of the best players ever in his prime and they've already come so far compromising their principles on 
vaccination status and all that. They're like, look, this at this point, this is a Hail Mary. Let's go for it. Yeah, why why not? Why not? And you know, you mentioned Chris Middleton's injury. I don't think that it's a stretch to say that um whoever emerges from this series has a softer path to the Eastern Conference Finals and perhaps the finals than we would have said even 24 hours ago. Yeah, unlike some other teams, you there's a real path for why both the Celtics and Nets could improve the longer they're able to stave off elimination. I'm talking about Robert Williams and Ben Simmons. They both have the chance to reach another level and they're playing it right now. Um, and you never know. I mean, Middleton got hurt, Booker got hurt, Doncic got hurt. Jason Tatum was battling patellofemoral syndrome coming into the playoffs. Maybe they were being cautious resting him, but you remember the Bucs might have thrown a game to foist Brooklyn upon the Celtics and get a softer matchup for themselves. Now Middleton's hurt, and they're in a war with the Chicago Bulls. Um, if you could somehow f- claw, fight your way back and tie the series, and Ben could give you a good 18, 24 minutes of defense in game five, who's to say? Who's to say? So so I'll say this to you. You said this to me last year when the Nets took a two-game lead. The Mil- the Milwaukee Bucks are not at all out. They are they can absolutely tie the series and they can absolutely steal it. Uh it didn't look good and then Kyrie Irving rolls his ankle and James Harden is never back. He plays hobbled and the rest was history. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you count them out at your own risk. So going into game three, you know, you you predicted uh, Brooklyn to win the series. And I think even though they're down 0-2 now, I think that you were, um, you know, I, I, I think it was a good pick based on what we've seen in these first two games. You're going to let me take it a victory lap should... even though I was wrong? <laughs> I think it probably should be one one right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you know, I, I, I picked Toronto over the Sixers. I think if Scotty Barnes doesn't get hurt, it's probably two one and Toronto is favorite in game four. But right. like, you know, these these series they flip on one play, on one injury, on on a dime. So Correct. I'll ask you I'll ask you game three, who do you who do you like? Um who do you like in game three? And what do you think is going to happen as we head back to the close? I'm looking at the uh, at the Vegas spread right now. Do you happen to know what it is? I'll ask you to guess. I'm going to guess Brooklyn is a two-and-a-half point favorite for game three. It's Brooklyn by three-and-a-half. I, okay. I am going to take Brooklyn to win the game. Um, but if I were gambling on our partner with FanDuel, I might, I might try to take the money line on the Celtics as an underdog, because I don't think that there's a tremendous disparity in this game. You know, sometimes you see a team down Oh two and these teams were really close coming in. You say game three is over with They're definitely going to win that one. I'm, I'll be curious to see if they can tie it up in game four. I don't feel that way right now. Um, because I'll be honest with you. I told you this in the first quarter of game one, 
this is not the way Kevin Durant was officiated all season long. And I feel that's a bit unfair. And I think the Nets have said all the right things. They're saying, like, they're playing great defense. They're showing me lots of physical looks. We knew exactly what to expect. The playoffs is a whole other beast. We know it's going to be more physical. But they're not going to say it, but I'm going to say it. That's all bullshit. Like, if you were going to call it this way, Mm. you needed to give the players some warning beginning in December, January, February. You can't just completely flip on a dime. I mean, I'm watching games heading into the play-in where Durant's being covered by Laurie Markkinen, who breathes on him and sends KD to the line. And now they're letting go four times that amount of contact on some of these dribble handoffs. So I just don't think it's the same game I've watched for 82, 82 games. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm fine with them calling it this way, but I, I don't want the players to have to feel so surprised by it. Not that they would because they knew playoffs would be different, but just if, if that's going to be the way it's officiated in Brooklyn also, the series is over. And if it's not, and Brooklyn starts getting those calls, and I know Celtics fans would say, KD got 20 free throws. What are you talking about? But I think it's the way they're contesting him on some of these pull-ups, especially in game one. Um, then I wonder, if they get the calls in game three, why is the NBA content with such a strong difference in the way games are officiated in favor of the home team? Mm, yeah. Yeah, that, that's referent. interesting. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think the officiating was not what it has been, not what they expected. I do think if you're a player of Durant's stature, you kind of expect him to have a counter to that, to be able to adjust. But, you know, we didn't see that. Um, I, I would I would imagine we may hear Nash lobby a bit for the refs. I heard Durant say, like, they're grabbing me, they're holding me. Um, they're mucking up the game. So, you know, any, any historian of the NBA playoffs knows that this is part of, part of it. You know, you, you kind of try to reach the referees through the media when you have these layoffs and, um, hopefully the Nets get a friendlier whistle at home. I think that you're right, that that can make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if the game tips and you see Grant Williams in the chest of Durant and he does a rip through and they just call it a turnover and Boston's off to the races, you're going to know right then and there that the tone has been set. I mean, Brooklyn is in big, big trouble. But if that's a sideline out of bounds and a foul on Williams, it's going to be a whole other ball game once the series takes to Barclays. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, I'll ask you this as we wrap up. Um, any other series that you're especially plugged into? Any upsets that you see? Uh, obviously, we see the Devin Booker injury in a 1-1 series. Chris Middleton. Uh, the Memphis-Minnesota series has also been you know, pretty compelling. Um, any upsets that you feel are entirely in play right now? Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't count an upset. Um, I mean, if the Mavericks won without Luca, that would be a massive upset. But I don't count anything that happens now that Luca's still out and pessimistic for game three as an upset. So I'm going to skip that series. Um, I think the J- I expect the Jazz to win if Luca's not 100%. Then you go to 
Let's see. I, th- I do think the Pelicans can win this series now. Brandon Ingram took a superstar caliber leap in that wow. game. That, that would be just sh- shocking. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't believe in curses, but, like, poor Chris Paul, man. I mean, this guy, this would be, this would be worse in, in some ways than when he pulled his hamstring in game five of the Rockets warrior series. Cause it just felt like from start to finish Phoenix has been the best team in the NBA by pretty far. And if they end up losing to the Pelicans, I mean, I get it. Devin Booker's probably your best player. You lose your best player that you're not going to win, but like, wow, what a, what just a horrific turn of turn of luck. I mean, my gosh. And you look at the tra- the midseason trade to bring in CJ McCollum, who has some like lethal Game Seven performances under his belt. He's a wartime conciliatory type player. He's someone you want in these big moments. But let's be honest, man. If Booker is out and Ingram has a game like he had in Game Two, did you did you hear what is this, what is this Smoothie King Center rocking in the play-in? Like that you mentioned Boston. Nola was an absolute jungle, and so if Ingram is <laughs> if Ingram is playing like that, uh, then the Suns are in some serious trouble. I, I still I still do like the Suns. I think to win that series anyway. Um, I think Mikael Bridges uh, has been start to finish like like you mentioned, like awesome. And I think DeAndre Ayton has come on late, and he was the number one overall pick in the draft. If he can get to a point where he's playing really high quality defense, even out on the perimeter, we've seen lately from him stuff that makes him on a tier above a player like Domas Sabonis, who's never had it. You know, he's had the offense and the post offense, but he's never had the defense. If Aiden can do that, then they could advance in the series, and then maybe you're you're looking to get Booker back somewhere in the next one against a beatable Utah or a banged up Mavs group. But man, um, suddenly a very, very yeah. But as you day. know, I mean, Booker, I'm sure will be back as soon as humanly possible. But if you're a Suns fan, you're never going to feel at ease. I mean, a grade one full hamstring; those things linger. They're re-aggravated very easily, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not like a sprained ankle. It's not like it's not like anything, you know, where it's like, well, he's back, he's back, he's back. It's like, no, he's back, but that thing at any moment could tweak again, and it's it's pretty scary. So hopefully they're in good position. I'll ask you, any chance that if this series is a long one, that we see a uh, Ben Simmons from the top rope return from Zion? Yeah, I think you would start to get really serious about that if you won round one, right? I mean, even if you were heading into a massive game six looking to put them away, you'd have to you'd have to think about that. Can you imagine I, what I that stadium would sound like? I mean, you're going for like one of the biggest upsets in the history of the sport. Like, if he's if he's healthy or like pretty close to being cleared he's I'm, doing I'm Vince Carter him in. practice all the time right right i'm bringing him in for 10 minutes just for just for like the aesthetics of it like you what, said, man. If, if, zion, if zion landed on you from that top rope good night 
<laughs> it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Throw them in there. <clears throat> um, yeah. Okay. And I'm trying to think Minnesota, Memphis, you feel like that one, you feel like Memphis kind of solved them in game two, or do you think that's a long series? It feels like a long series to me, but I do think they solved them enough to advance. I, you know, I think yeah, Minnesota I, I, has maybe three of the best five players and two of the best three. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider it a major upset if they advanced, but um, I'm a big, you know, this, I'm a big, big Jaron Jackson fan. I love watching him play. I love his development. And I think if he could cause just enough turmoil, um, then they could just do what they need to do to slow down the Wolves offense a bit. Yeah, I agree. I think that most likely outcome is Memphis in seven. Former former net from the 89-90 team, Jaron Jackson Sr.'s son, by the way, if you're listening. As really? Man. Didn't know that. Shout out Triple J Sr. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rick Carlisle was on that team also. Lots of synergy. Rick Carlisle um watching the mavericks i was thinking you know as we look at this like if, if the mavericks can advance past utah and luca is okay and devin booker is not okay then you know all of a sudden it's like when we had pronounced dallas pretty much dead after luca's calf injury they're they're looking good so yeah jalen brunson just might have saved their season with his 41 point explosion in game two, if they can get one of these games in Utah, whether that's with Luca or without, uh, and then Luca could get back out there. Although, as Golden State Warriors fans would say, never rush back from a calf strain, Kevin Durant. Wow, good point. It helps when you can't jump. Like yeah, Luka. yeah, that's true. Although, <laughs> although Durant's game wasn't really based on verticality, he he hurt himself trying to explode on a drive. That's right. That's right. um, and, and speaking of Nets fans listening, what you were talking about with Devin Booker playing with a grade one, it was March 31st against the Knicks when James Harden sustained a grade one hammy. He was never the same. It progressed to a grade two in the first minute of that Buck series. So soft tissue injuries, just the scourge, the season is too long, blah, blah, blah. Here we are. James, um, James Harden's still not the same. No, he's still not the same. Not at all. all still basically altered his career so yeah good luck yeah. And, uh, don't come back too early from something man it's not worth it so speaking of that can the bulls win this series now no i don't think they're going to win the series i just think that the bucks are going to be able to will themselves with Giannis and drew holiday and maybe it'll you know it, it could very well go seven games now but I just think that they're going to find a way to get through. Um, that being said, uh, without Middleton, I don't, I don't think they beat Boston or Brooklyn. If, if Bruce Brown had the type of game he had in game one, I mean, you know, he was awesome in game two. If he had done that in game one and this team was tied right now, heading back to Brooklyn, you'd you wouldn't want to look past the Celtics, but you could see the road to the conference finals. Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. I think if, if this series is 1-1 right now, I am really excited. Uh, and, you know, it's, I, I think that this might be a series that we look back on and say, like, this should have been, would have been, and could have been a seven-game series. Um, but when you don't win the close ones, sometimes, you know, it's over sooner than you think. So let's hope the Nets can regroup and win game three. Yep, and that takes us full circle. Like you said, Steve Nash can tell them about that, letting Tim Duncan hit a walk-off three on them. Um, and then they get swept. So was that, was that when that was when Shaq, Shaq was on the Suns, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Phoenix was up, uh, Oh, two uh, Phoenix was, it was, it was game one. Phoenix was winning the whole game. I believe went into overtime and then they kicked it out to Duncan and that was it. They won that game and that was, they never looked back. I think they won it that year. Okay, so that would have been 07? I think it was 08, actually. I think it was 08. That was the year. They didn't win. Okay. Yeah, maybe maybe they didn't win it that year. That was the Celtics. Uh, It was was definitely the Shaq year. Shaq was was out there. They they traded for Shaq that season. Yeah. Yeah, but the one Nash will really feel was the 07 one when the, when the Spurs won the finals against Detroit because he figured that the Suns would have been there and they would have had that chance. That was the um, Robert Ory hip check, Amare, Boris Diaw leave the bench, and a championship is stolen from the Phoenix Suns. Wow. All right, on that note... You want to uh, take us out of here with this Brooklyn chant? Brooklyn. Not a life support one. Brooklyn. A good, a good brigade. I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm digging deep. I'm trying to find it. It's just, it's hard right now with the state of affairs. But all right, here we go. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> all right, Greg. Thanks for joining. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.